ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another View from the Bridge podcast. Today we are reflecting on Chelsea's famous and historic win last night in the Champions League as they beat Borussia Dortmund 2-0 at Stamford Bridge to overturn the one-goal deficit from the first leg and progress into the quarterfinals of the competition. I am joined, as always, by Adam Newson. Adam, how are you today? Good, thanks. A little bit tired, but other than that, all right. Yeah, I'm the same. A bit, bit of a late night for both of us last night. We were at Stamford Bridge, um, but it was a great night. Um, Chelsea were really good on the night, and it was it was an insane atmosphere from both sets of supporters. Um, and yeah, well, I was get straight into it. It, it felt like a very massive game going into it, and the way it unfolded, the the atmosphere, the the way the players performed on the night, it it felt like it could almost be a defining one for Graham Potter. Would you agree? Yeah, I felt he's needed a performance and a result like this for a while, to be honest. I mean, he's had some good ones early into his tenure, beating Milan twice. is obviously no mean feat, but given recent results, given the form, given where his position was over the last sort of week and a half in terms of suddenly being a little bit more under threat than maybe he seemed uh, previously. No, he needed this. And um, so Chelsea delivered the performance that they needed. I thought every player across the pitch was was very good and at the level that they probably need to be at for the rest of the season. Um, and yeah, as, as you said, Potter was sort of demonstrably more emotional on the touchline than normal, which I think probably highlights the importance he felt this game had, um, maybe on his his Chelsea tenure as a whole. Um, and it was a nice moment at the end of the game. You know, he went he went over towards the, the Matthew Harding end, and uh, there were a couple of uncharacteristic fist pumps um, and some enthusiastic applause to to those in the stands. So it was a good night for him, um, a good night for Chelsea as a whole. Um, and now they just have to build on it going forward because it can't be a, a one-off performance. Yeah, completely. And just touching again on Potter and the passion he showed last night, it's something we haven't yet seen um, for his short time at the club. Do you think it's Do you think it's something that will get the fans on side eventually, seeing him sort of almost like, without trying to compare him to Thomas Tuchel at every point, but very Thomas Tuchel-like with... Um, how he was on the touchline. He was very passionate. He was, you know, um, shouting at the fourth official a couple of times. He was fist bumping. He couldn't even watch the second Kai Abbott's penalty. It felt very, um, it felt very passionate and something we haven't seen. Mm, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying he was Tuchel like just because Tuchel is very, very, very emotional on the touchline and, and very willing to show that across 90 minutes. Um, Except for when he was very irritated by performance, then he'd go and sit in the dugout and not do anything. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's important for Potter. You know, fans, rightly or wrongly, do latch on to that. I mean, he's been very true to himself from you know throughout his Chelsea tenure. He hasn't wanted to go down that route, and I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think he was doing it for show last night. I think it was quite organic, given the stakes, given what was an emotional evening from a, a Chelsea perspective. I mean, the fans really built it up very well outside the ground before 
before kickoff, they they were really building up an atmosphere, you know, to welcome the team bus. They managed to hold up the Dortmund bus as well. And inside the ground at Stamford Bridge, you know, <laughs> there are games where it does feel as though those who've come are sort of sitting back and waiting for a performance rather than helping contribute to that performance. But last night, the, the fans inside the ground were fantastic. The noise was, was brilliant. And it's probably what Chelsea needed. Um, you know, it helped them start, I think, quickly. And from then, the, the emotion built. I mean, it ebbed, it ebbed and flowed a bit, the, the momentum of the game. But, but once Chelsea got ahead, um, they were very good in that sort of early part of the second half. They got the second goal that they needed. And, um, and then they did something of a containing job, which uh, they did pretty well, to be honest, barring a, a very good chance with Jude Bellingham that he should have taken. They uh, they'd say they defended fairly well and secured their place in a in a quarter final. Yeah, and then you mentioned the atmosphere. It was it was incredible last night, and um, yeah, it was great to be there. There there are a few obviously standout players last night. Um, players who perhaps haven't been up to their usual standards in this sort of run of form. Um, namely, we got Mark Correa, who I'll start with. Uh, I thought. From a from my point of view, I thought he was excellent last night. I thought he really set the tone defensively. I thought he was aggressive, and I, I was I was a bit concerned when I saw him in the lineup. I'm not going to lie, um, Dortmund have some fantastic attackers, but I mean, not just him, of course. But Kukurea was responsible for keeping him quiet last night. Um, how well do you think he did? I think, given the context of of the game, given the context context of the last several weeks that he's faced professionally um it was an absolutely massive performance from him i mean it's, it was last month against west ham that he was brought off and he was jeered and and booed by the traveling chelsea support which to be fair a lot of a lot of players have struggled at chelsea down the years but most of them have always retained support of the fans. So when you do see them turn, it, it is quite noticeable and quite surprising. And that wouldn't have been nice for Kukurea. Of course it wouldn't, um, especially with your own fans. And then he was brought out of the, you know, out of the firing line, essentially. Potter didn't select him for three consecutive match day squads. You know, maybe coincidentally, you know, he, he, he had, the birth of his, his third child in that. So maybe there was an element of ensuring he could be around for that because that's obviously a hugely important part of your life as a, as a person more than anything else. But to bring him back into a game of this magnitude, to trust him as that left centre-back, it, it was a show of faith from Potter and, and Kukurea really, really rewarded him. Uh, he was He was very, very good, very aggressive in his defending, very front foot enjoyed the fact he was one of the first players to get involved uh, later in the game from a Chelsea perspective when uh, this sort of thing's getting a little bit aggravated. And uh, yeah, he was uh, he was very good. Yeah, and it's, it's exactly the sort of performance he needed, of course, because like we said, he hasn't, for a number of reasons perhaps, but he hasn't lived up to his uh, quite big price tag from last summer. And it does feel like this could be the start, hopefully, for him um, of turning his Chelsea career around um, if all goes well. There's obviously the question with uh, Badia Shield because he wasn't in the Champions League squad and he's been excellent since signing a couple of months ago. So whether or not um, 
whether or not Kukurea is trusted again on at the weekend. Um, if you're Graham Potter in that situation, would you, if I'm just putting you on the spot right now, would you go with the fresher, younger legs of Badiashio or would you um, would you try and get some momentum into Kukurea, who, let's be honest, doesn't deserve to be dropped? Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong decision on that, to be fair. Kukurea played so well that if he was to start again against Leicester, you'd have no issues with it. Badia Shields had, you know, the week off essentially from from matches, so he'll be fresher. He's played very well, barring probably the first half against Southampton. So I don't really think there's a right or wrong decision on that part. You know, there there will probably be one or two changes. Potter does often rotate, but if he continues with the back three, I don't think either of them are, are poor options for him to turn to really, and I think both of them can do a good job. And it's reassuring that, you know, after such a difficult spell for Chelsea, and I don't think they're out of the woods yet, I think that, you know, there is still a risk that they could go to Leicester and, and the bubble burst a little bit if they don't win. But it's it's reassuring that there are players now coming into some sort of form. Um, Wesley Fofana has been has been very good. Kaladu Kulibaly is starting to show his true level after a difficult adaptation period to English football. You say Kukurea did very well last night. Badia Shields done well since he's arrived. Chilwell seems to be getting back to his best. James is still building up his fitness. Havertz, we'll talk about probably in a minute, but he was absolutely brilliant last night. I mean, if you can get these players on a bit of a roll, keep them in this form, then Chelsea can really go through the rest of the season in, in a very good place, which looked very unlikely, I mean, two or three weeks ago when they were losing at home to Southampton. Yeah, I think um, I think the defensive options at the moment as well is really um, reassuring. I think, I mean, we're not even mentioned Trevor Chalobah, who has done well at times this season, but hasn't played a lot. But you mentioned Koulibaly there. I want to touch on him. He was another one last night who uh, sort of needed that performance. He's been needing it for a while. Um, he hasn't. He's been mixed. He's. I mean, some games he's been okay, but some games he's been. He looks real liability, but. I was just thinking last night he was playing in the uh, middle of the back three, and I thought I thought he looked really really confident back there and um, aggressive, like Correa. You know, he, he won. I think he, I saw he won four of his aerial duels, which is quite a high number. And when Dortmund were pumping it up to Haller at some points, Chelsea needed someone like Kudabali to go and um, win those duels. So I'm just thinking, do you think the middle of a back three is somewhere that suits Kudabali and sort of? that could be his um, role in Ch- at Chelsea this season. Yeah, I think he's looked better there. It does give him an element of protection in the same way it does Thiago Silva. Uh, you, you have that support structure around you and, and in Fafana and, and especially Kukurea, then you have legs back there as well to get back if if the if the defence is beaten. I think for him, you know, credit to, I mean, credit to him in the sense that when he arrived and I was at his unveiling and he said, it's going to take me a few months um, to, to get used to this because I've been in Italy for eight years. I've been at Napoli for eight years. It's a very different football. It's a different football culture. It's a different intensity of the Premier League. It is going to take me some time. Um, probably taken longer than maybe he envisaged and maybe Chelsea envisaged, but there's definitely building blocks now for him because he has looked more assured. Um, against Dortmund, he he was very proactive in his defending and, and winning aerial duels is something that 
despite his size, he's actually never had the best record aerially. So if he's going to bring that to the game as well, then there is that element of, of Chelsea having a, a, another sort of Thiago Silva and experienced head back there to to help guide through younger players. And, and you know, Koulibaly's, what, 31, coming up 32, Thiago's 38. If they're your two sort of senior pros or really experienced pros in, in that back line, then you do have Wes Fafana, you do have Trevor Chalibur, Baddy Ashiel, these guys are sort of all 23 and under to sort of mould into into their heirs over the next couple of years because as good as Thiago Silva is, he's he's not going to go on forever, even if it does seem like that at points. And Koulibaly is, is slowly adapting and getting there. Um, whether or not he'll get there the full way, we'll, we'll see over the rest of the season. But uh, but as you say, as a defensive unit, you've got a nice nice blend of, of experience, quality, um, and also you sort of youth, youthful exuberance as well. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of positive in the defence because it has to be fair. It has been good the defence that you know over the last few weeks. It's really just the attacking side that's been Chelsea's issue. Yeah, no, they they had to look really good and like like you said, Fafana has been excellent, but especially the last two games, um, which is great to see because he was out for so long and he looks sort of every bit of what Chelsea paid that big money for and he's what he's one who's still so young and can develop into a, a potentially world-class defender so that's great to see uh staying with defense uh sort of wing backs we're going to talk about um see Reese James and Ben Chilwell started together last night it's, it's something we haven't seen a lot of especially this season because like both like, both of them have just been so unfortunate with injury problems and um, Chelsea have been unable to get them on the field together, which is such a shame because they are, we all know how good both of them are when they're at their best. Um, I just want to talk about that because there's obviously the excitement for Potter to have these two great players available, but I think he needs to, I'm sure he has spoken about this in the past, but he needs to manage their game time as well. So it's Chelsea playing, you know, um, two games, three games a week at the moment. And how, if you're Graham Potter, how are you going about ensuring that Reese James or Ben Chilwell don't pick up another muscle injury in, well, between now and the end of the season, really? Well, I think the, the good thing is that they've probably gone through the really painful period of both of them where they do have to be managed very carefully. Uh, the fact that Reese didn't play against Leeds, I think, was very much just protecting him Yes, I'm sure he did have the tight, ham, uh, you know, tight hamstring, but it's probably one of those where you risk it if you need to. Um, but Graham Potter's been very good, uh, you know, to his credit in prioritising players' health over his short-term needs um, because it would have been easy for him on many occasions to throw guys straight back in or to try, or you know, to, to keep pushing them uh, and overload them, and and, and you know and that then puts more risk. Uh, of another injury. So Potter's been very careful with each player, making sure he's doing what's best for them. I think you look at Chilwell, I, I definitely think he's back to something close to his best now. He looks he looks agile, mobile, very, very fit. Um, in that wing-back role, he is incredible, really. I mean, the timing and, and movement that he has to get behind defences constantly is, as you know, I put this out on Twitter during the game last night. I mean, it's an absolute elite level, his ability to do that. Um, and then Reese on the other side, who I still think is probably feeling his way back in a bit more. I don't think he's quite at his top level yet. I mean, he wasn't as as influential last night as Chilwell was. Um, 
maybe there's an element of design by that because you have Kukure on that left side and the back the back three can become a back four a bit more uh, easily um, with James being a bit more conservative. But yeah, to have those two back and playing uh, to get them up to the level which we know that they can perform at will be huge. And there will be an element of managing, managing them. Of course there will. But I think they're both getting to the stage now where they will be able to play a run of games consistently and touch wood, you know, fingers crossed, everything crossed, that they actually both stay injury-free for a few months because with those two in the side, Chelsea are a far more bigger and dynamic attacking threat. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, another player who was excellent last night, I mean, we could we could literally talk about every player, we're not going to do that, but um, I am going to mention Kai Havertz. He have finally got his goal. Uh, he'd missed a couple of chances. There was one um, in the first half where he probably should score. There's one where he's unlucky. It's like on a half volley after a good flick from um, Felix. But And then, of course, he scores the goal where Raheem Sterling was offside, and that was an absolute world of a strike, um, something we know he's capable of, but perhaps doesn't do enough. But so then he has his penalty, and there's obviously he, missed it, he hits the post, and then... The, uh, the referee pulled it back um, after a VAR check and he then went the same side, which, you know, the, the confidence to do that and just put the ball basically exactly where he meant to put it the first time. That, that's elite. And he did that, um, stay calm under the pressure. But besides his goal, I thought last night he was excellent. I thought um, he linked up so well with um, Felix and um, Raheem Sterling. I thought his touch was... We all know how good his touch is, but sometimes sometimes he just doesn't get involved enough, um, whether that's down to players around him or his movement. But last night he was really involved and I think probably Chelsea's man of the match with maybe Kukurea. I think he was actually given man of the match, but I would personally give it to Havertz. Um, when he's that good, Adam, it's really frustrating, isn't it? Because we all know he can do that. And I think the nervous has been said a million times, but... he's just a frustrating player but last night he was excellent yeah he was and it is frustrating because that is the level that Kai Havertz can play at I mean when when he does put it all together you can completely understand why Graham Potter and Thomas Tuchel before him have played him as a nine because he does have a physicality to him when he's up for it he really battled against the Dortmund centre-backs last night, really caused some problems because he wasn't afraid to get into duels with them. He wasn't afraid to, to try to use his body and then take the ball down. Um, you know, his technical quality has never been in doubt. His invention on the ball last night was fantastic. And yeah, it, it does go back to this feeling of the biggest issue with Havertz is always consistency and going through the gears often enough. And... Bizarrely, I mean, I remember speaking to him out in in Las Vegas during preseason, and then he mentioned consistency and, and becoming more consistent. And maybe we're still being a bit, I don't know, if harsh is the right word, but he is only twenty three years old. He has still got to put his game together completely. But you watch him last night, and it, it's unfeasible that this guy isn't going to become a top, top quality European player. And if he's able to to replicate that going forward, then Chelsea do have a 
somewhat of an answer to their number nine problems. I mean, you, there's always going to be a debate about whether or not he's prolific enough. Maybe, again, that comes in time. But he's got so much of what you'd want for, for an attacking player. As you said, the touch was brilliant last night. The sort of subtlety of his movement to drop off at times was was sort of expert. I mean, his his skill for in the build-up to the opening goal was incredible. I mean, he took the ball, he, he got into a tight space, managed to to work his way out of it and find Kovacic, I think it was with a lovely back heel. I mean, these are all things where you watch Havertz and you, you just in awe at how good he can be. But yeah, the challenge for him is is always going to be consistency in producing that level week in, week out. And when you do see that level, you, you want to see it more. And that's the challenge of him now going into Leicester and, and, and Everton after that to keep building on it. He can't just be one in five or, or a one in ten in terms of performance. Every every sort of ten games, he can't just have one standout performance. He needs to really go two, three, four, five, six games in a row where he's at that level. Yeah, um, you touched on it there, but I want to talk about more of more about his sort of like long term future. Um, obviously, it's unclear right now, sort of what Chelsea will do in the summer. But there's obviously talks of. There's speculation about um, a club wanting a number nine, maybe a more traditional number nine than Havertz. Uh, if they if they do go out and spend big, which you know he definitely wouldn't write off, considering what um, Top Bowley's done so far, and bring in a, a number nine, um, then where do you think that leaves Havertz? Do you think he drops back and goes into sort of number ten or on the wing, or do you think he would have to sort of like fight for his place as a number nine because? Look, there's going to be loads of if some if another club, another top club, um, sees the situation and sees that he's not playing as much as he wants to, and he's going to have no shortage of interested parties at all. So, what what do you think the future holds for him? Um, I don't know. Is the honest answer? Uh, it, we know that the the ownership group were using two years uh, remaining on a player's contract as a barometer for whether or not that they stay and sign a new deal or they move on. I think that may be somewhat on the back burner this summer just because there's so many players coming into to the last sort of year of their deal. You've got Mount, Kovacic, Loftus-Cheek, I think. Um, there's a couple of others as well. Um, so that that's going to be obviously the immediate priority. But yeah, Chelsea do need a, a number nine, I think. As good as Havertz is, just for all the reasons we've just discussed about consistency, that they, they obviously are looking at a number nine to fill that sort of position. Um, but Havertz's fluidity and his ability to adapt and play different roles has always been one of his greatest strengths. It's just there will come a time, I think, where he does need to define what he is exactly. Is that as a number nine? I don't think so. Is that playing off a, another sort of central striker? Maybe. And that may help him longer term, but you're then getting into a wider discussion about Havertz, about Jeff Felix, about Christopher Nkunku, all these guys who play very well off, off a central striker. You can't keep them all or have them all. So then you have to make difficult decisions about how you shape your squad. Um, but there's lots of football to be played before Chelsea gets to that point. So that can be put off to the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh bit different but I want to ask you about the quarter final draw I'm just looking now I want to ask you as a journalist who you obviously be going out to one of these places um, I want to ask you who you want to play the most so you Chelsea can draw Benfica who progressed last night 
Um, Bayern Munich or PSG, it's 1-0 Bayern Munich at the moment. Tottenham or AC Milan, it's 1-0 AC Milan. Porto, Inter Milan, it's 1-0 Inter. Man City, Leipzig, 1-0. Napoli or Frankfurt, 2-0 Napoli. And Real Madrid, Liverpool, it's 5-2 to Real Madrid. If I was to ask you on the spot where you'd want to go on an away day the most, what would you say? I mean, from a, a lifestyle perspective, I'd quite like to go to Lisbon um, and Benfica, but nice narrative there as well in terms of, of Enzo going back to Benfica. That would be a good story. Yeah. Who would I want if I was looking purely for Chelsea to progress? That's very tricky. It's never easy because Champions League last eight, you, you are going to be coming up against quality teams. I mean, you kind of expect Real Madrid are going through it then I think there's not that many other ones that are clear. Uh, yeah, perhaps, you'd say uh, they're, they're all one goal apart from Napoli or two. Yeah. So you'd, you'd so. probably put Napoli because they've got the home game as well to come. But I don't know. Maybe Milan. You'd back Chelsea to get through if Milan were to get through yeah. against Tottenham. Chelsea obviously played them twice in the group stage and won both games. Things have changed a little bit. I mean, Milan on in the best form. So maybe you'd, you'd back Chelsea to get past Milan again over two games, but it wouldn't be you know whoever Chelsea draw. I mean the one, <laughs> the one I personally want them to avoid is Manchester City. I don't I don't really want Chelsea to play an English club because you know it, it we see that time and time again in the Premier League, of course. But if you if you gave me one choice to absolutely rule out, it would a hundred percent be Manchester City because. I'm tired of watching Chelsea go to the Etihad and get battered. So I would quite like to avoid that for... And, you know, Chelsea have already played City twice at the Etihad this season. They're going to play them again in the Premier League at the Etihad. I don't really want four trips to the Etihad this season. So... Board of the Etihad. So, yes. Anyone but Man City is fine. Okay, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I agree with you. I think, uh, um, like, Porto would be really good. Like, lifestyle, like you said. Benfica as well. I mean, well, no disrespect, but you expect Chelsea to be either of those Portuguese teams. And trip to Portugal is always a popular one for the fans. Um, yeah, I'm just going to move away from the Champions League now. Um, talk about Leicester at the weekend because, uh, you know, it's only a few days away because how quick these games are coming. Um, Leicester, I mean, they don't look great at the moment by any, any stretch of the imagination. They haven't looked good all season, really. Um, Chelsea obviously will go there as favourites, but you know, like you said earlier, it's it, there's still a very there's still a there's still a chance that this sort of two win streak could come to an end and the bubble bubble burst. But um, how do you fancy Chelsea's chances on Saturday? Um, it's difficult to truly get a read on Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, back to back wins is good, breeds confidence. They've played fairly well. I mean, they played fairly well against Leeds for about 60 minutes and then they obviously were better against Dortmund. Leicester are difficult to predict in themselves as well. I mean, they've had some very good games. I watched, you know, I remember watching them dismantle Tottenham last month. Um, then they went and lost against United and, and I think they gave Arsenal a good game but didn't win. So they're not easy to read. I mean, and, they, and then they lost against Southampton 1-0, but that can happen to the best of sides. Um, but I think Chelsea will go into this with a lot more confidence. And Leicester, it's, a, it's, it's difficult to get a read on Leicester. They have players who can really hurt you. 
when they're on it, they are sort of a very intense, very quick team um, in terms of their progression of the ball, and that and that can undo Chelsea at points. But I would go there a lot more confident now, and if they can get another result, I mean, is it going to change too much Premier League table-wise? I don't actually think it could because I think they're four points behind uh, Brentford, who are above them yeah. uh, at the very least. So Chelsea will still be in. 10th place at the end of this weekend no matter what happens um but yeah we'll just keep momentum building and and the positive sort of feeling growing under Graham Potter after as we said earlier such a difficult period yeah I mean I'm just looking at the table now just to do some research and Leicester are on their 15th on 24 points they're just two points above Everton and 18th which is mad when you look at the squad Leicester have like you said they've got some really good players James Madison uh, Jamie Vardy, Kletchy, and actually they've got some like really good attacking players, but it's obviously, can't say I've watched too much from the season, but it's obviously not gone too well. And um, so they're going to be fighting for the, they're going to be fighting for survival, really. And they will see Chelsea as, despite them winning the last two games, I'll see Chelsea as some, a team that can, you know, they can get at. Um, Brendan Rodgers will know that. Um, I just, because it's obviously like, what, four days after the um, Dortmund game, I expect there will be a couple of changes. You look at the likes of uh, the ones who didn't travel, um, like Badia Shield and Madueke, they could easily come in. Um, how tempted would you be if you were Potter to sort of make a host of changes or would you almost want to keep that sort of, the same sort of spine of the team and um, that has um, done really well against Leeds and Dortmund? I think you want to keep the spine of the team in place. If you're going to go with back three as well, you want James and Chilwell in there. You want your three centre backs. You know, you can. We had the debate earlier about Correa or Badiashil, but other than that, you, you have Fafana and Koulibaly in. You have Felix in just because of the loan and the money you spent to get him on loan. He's he's almost guaranteed to start. Havertz deserves to start. Uh, Sterling got his goal. I mean, there's not. A huge argument, I think, to, to, to make too many changes, if any, um, to be honest, despite the fact that you can maybe suggest tired legs. But the fact it was a Tuesday game and Saturday, I, I don't think that's going to be a huge issue. So for me, I'd be looking to go very similar, if not the same team. Um, and of course, yeah, and you do have, you know, Madueke would want to play. Of course, he would. Mudrik would want to get some minutes. I mean, he, he hasn't been getting minutes in the last few few games, which... I know it's causing some consternation amongst Chelsea supporters, but I think personally, I, uh, the way Chelsea are bedding him in is is kind of what good clubs do, actually, um, especially well-run clubs. I mean, we've seen Manchester City over the years sign a lot of players uh, and give them time to really adapt and settle into the group. You know, they're not thrust into the first team straight away. They are they are handed an opportunity to sort of learn the system and learn learn their teammates and. And maybe that is how Chelsea are, are taking Madrid because he is he is young. He's come from a a league where he hadn't been playing since November, so there was that element of it as well. So, so yeah, I, I'm not hugely concerned about that at this point. And and yeah, for me, I'm not sure there's a natural home for Madrid in the in a sort of three four two one shape because he's a wide player, likes to be out in the wide spaces, going at players rather than in those sort of half spaces where you might find someone like a, a Felix. So 
Yeah, for me, a similar team, if not the same team that you used against Dortmund. Try and continue that momentum, as I said. Try and, and use the confidence built from Dortmund to, to carry on into the Premier League because, I mean, it's it's Leicester and then it's Everton and then it's an international break. You want to be winning both of those and go into that international break with a lot more positivity because if you go into the national break with about four wins behind you, then you can really come back and attack what will be a, a very important second or sort of, sorry, last part of the season with the Champions League. And and I think we all believe top four is impossible at this point for Chelsea because of of the situation they're in in the table. I mean, I, I can't remember, I think it's 14, 14 points there. They're behind Tottenham or, or something like that. That's only um, 11 now. So it's very, very unlikely Chelsea closed that gap. Um but there is European football on offer elsewhere, Europa League, Conference League, which some may sort of shudder at, but would still be European football. But um, but yeah, if if they can go into the national into the international break on the back of four wins, I mean that would be huge for Potter um, and from the club and, and a huge turnaround from where they were last month. Yeah, you're right. It's it's eleven points. Uh, Chelsea do have a game in hand on Spurs. Um, Liverpool obviously just three points behind Spurs now with a game in hand as well so um, I was going to ask you about Mudrick to be fair but you kind of answered it there um, I will ask you about uh, Chalaba I, I sort of mentioned his name earlier um, he's almost sort of a forgotten man at Chelsea at this point um, I just I, I wanted to know because obviously he's been linked with moves away like over the last sort of couple of windows maybe three windows and when Chelsea have gone to a back three and like they have now, and obviously Thiago Silva's out for a while, and he's still not getting a look in. What do you think that means? Do you think he? Do you think that's something that could frustrate him? And I mean, if, if people are getting in over him and he's sort of got no chance of getting in the team, I think it's he. Firstly, I'm going to say he's an excellent professional. From what I gather, he won't be causing a fuss. He won't be kicking up anything behind the scenes. He'll be getting on with his work. Uh, keeping his head down and trying to to push on and get back in the team, he's had a bit of a strange season, all told. I think because he didn't he didn't feature very much under Tuchel at the very beginning. He then came in for Wes Fofana uh, against Milan and and was very good up against Rafa Liao. And then he played the next I think it was like twelve or thirteen games straight. Um, performed very well. I mean, for me, going into the World Cup break, it was probably between. Uh, him and Thiago Silva in terms of who'd been Chelsea's stand-up performer. I mean, Silva probably would have been top, but but Chalaba wouldn't have been too far behind. Um, but, you know, post-World Cup break, he's, he's not got too, too many look-ins. He, he didn't have a great night against Fulham at Craven Cottage. He sort of bounced back with with good performances as, as a sort of step in right, uh, sort of standing right back. Um, and then he's gone out again. So, yeah, it has been a strange season for him. Um, but for me, I mean, he's 23, I think, maybe you know, coming up 24 later this year. And he showed last season and has shown this season that you can rely on him if you call upon him. Um, I mean, he played three finals, I think it was, last year for Chelsea. And I know he maybe had a difficult time in the first half of the FA Cup final, I think it was, against Liverpool and, and Luis Diaz. But... One thing I really like about Trev Chalaber, and you know, this goes back to last season, is I always feel that he recovers well in matches, or if he does have a, a sort of a, a drop off, he'll be back the next game. 
we haven't really had a chance for him to do that this season um, in terms of coming back into the team and Kukurea starting ahead of him. It wasn't really a surprise because Kukurea is much more of a, a natural left-sided player than, than Chalaba, even though he did play in that left centre-back role at, at Lorient on loan um, a couple of seasons ago. But, you know, for, for me, he's probably just going to have to keep his head down, keep working, hope he gets that opportunity. Um, and when it does, then... I'd, I'd back him to, to deliver if, if he did get his opportunity like he did earlier in the season um, because he was he was thrown in against Milan having barely played and, and went on a great run. So, yeah, he's in a in a weird situation, really. But it's it's I don't think it's anything to do with him as as a person or, or a player because I think he's proved he can perform if, if needed for Chelsea. Absolutely. I agree. I think he's a as a squad player as well. Like if that's what he is at the moment, then there's not many better around. Um, I'm just going to ask you quickly for your uh, score prediction for Saturday. We usually do this. <clears throat> no idea. No? No I'm idea. I'm not going to give me a number. I need to see the team. I've said this now before every game, when yeah. talking in the press rooms and whatnot, when, you know, the inevitable, what do we reckon today then? And it's always, I need to see the team first before I make a hard prediction because... You just never know what lineup Chelsea will go with, and there's so many different options, there's so many different players, there's so many you know different systems now that they could go with that it's a bit of a fool's errand to make a prediction without seeing the team. So well, I'm a fool, so I'm going to go let, for. I'll let you go for it then. <laughs> I'm going to go for one nil Chelsea, no matter what team they put up. Um, <laughs> I hope you're right. We'll see. Yeah, we, I hope we're right. So. Yeah, I think that's all we have time for today, guys. Uh, thank you for listening once again. We will be back uh, probably starting next week to review hopefully a Chelsea win and all the other shenanigans that go on at the football club. So but until then, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.